0: around eight years old, and then I went back to normal life, and I forgot all about it. So young people, don't forget what God did in your heart this week, and parents helped your children stay on fire. Can I get an amen for that? Amen. Open up your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 11. What was supposed to be a one sermon, one and done on Hebrews 11, ended up becoming 10 parts. Okay? So welcome to Metro Praise International second service. We're going verse by verse through the book of Hebrews in this service. In the first service, we're going through the book of John and we're almost done. And then by God's grace, I'm going to start preaching impromptu messages just as the Lord gives me in the morning. Okay? But what was unique about this is just imagine this for a minute. I thought to myself when I came up to preach Hebrews chapter 11, I thought I could do it in one week. You are now in the 10th week of Hebrews chapter 11, okay? I hope that you have been blessed by it. I hope that it's encouraged you. I hope that you've gotten a lot of like examples of how to live by faith. I think the one that's always going to stand out to me is when we all stood up and shouted down the walls. Does anybody remember that? It was like two or three weeks ago. You guys remember. You were here, some of you. And we shouted out because Jericho was like an example to us of what God can do by faith. And I just pray that what you've taken from this is that faith in each one of our lives is going to look different. So just look at Hebrews 11, starting in verse 1, and look at all the lives that we've seen here as we get ready to conclude this chapter. We started off with Abel. What was his faith? His faith was to give God his best offering. Think about that. The very first example is about giving God your best and your resources. No coincidence that when Jesus says you cannot serve God and blank, that blank is what? You cannot serve God and money. Money. Because that is the biggest competition for your heart 90% of the time. Most of you are not tempted to be satanic, devil worshiping people, right? Like you don't want to get a tattoo of 666. You're not into that. Okay, so that's not your biggest temptation. And for most of us here as Christians, your biggest temptation isn't to become a Muslim or to become a Hindu or to do something like that. Though that is slipping into our culture, that is true. New age beliefs, those like Oprah Winfrey and others are slipping in. But what is your biggest temptation when you think about being a Christian. It's what you do with your money, how you spend your money, how you get your money. How much of it do you want? How much of it do you keep? How do you help others with it? What do you plan for your future? That literally occupies 40 plus hours of your life every week. And of course, there are noble things attached to the money. I'm taking care of my children. I'm paying my mortgage. But if we're not careful, what's in our wallet will control our heart. So the first lesson lesson that we got, in Hebrews, is always put God first. So the story of Abel is he came to God with his best, but his brother Cain came with his second best, and God did not receive it. Now, we'll receive your offering no matter how it comes, okay? Can I hear an amen to that? We're going to receive it. We're not going to be checking on you. Is this your best or your second best? We're going to receive it. But notice in the Bible, when uh, Cain did not give his best, God did not receive it. And instead of God, uh, like, trying to lower the standard and be like, well, at least you did something, Cain. I'm so happy you at least gave me. No, no, no. God said, it's all or nothing. You either give it to me the right way or don't give it to me at all. Now, listen to this. Instead of Cain doing the right thing, he murdered his brother who did the right thing. Think about that. In our culture today, most people, instead of wanting to change and do the right thing, they want to get rid of those doing the right thing. Have you ever experienced that? Persecution. So here's like Abel, he's just like, dude, I'm chilling. I'm loving God. I'm giving my best. Bro, why are you hitting me with a rock? What's going on? Because you did the right thing and God blessed you, and I'm jealous. Think about how many wars. Think about how much goes on in our streets. Think about how much happens on Facebook and Instagram, even among ladies and different things, being shells and dudes fighting on the block. All of that coming, what, from jealousy. And the Bible says you have not because you ask not. So the first hero of faith we learned about in Hebrews chapter 11, I might as well just read it since we're here. It says in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 4, By faith Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. Then the next one that we learned about is we learned about Enoch. And by the way, we're going to go back to the Karaoke Bible in August, but I had to give you guys the chance to use your own Bible or your app. How many have been doing this with me? Amen. Thank you. We will go back to the Karaoke Bible. But it was just getting old for me. Everybody was just watching me like this preach. Like, you do it all the work, and now this listen. And then I'm, like, stopping and reading Scripture. You guys wouldn't know how to fill in the blank, you know? So, like, I always love this. Watch this by example. Verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken. See, that's why I love you all to do that with me. See, by faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. Enoch as well as Elijah are the only two people to not suffer a physical death in the Bible. I believe these are going to be the two witnesses in the book of Revelation that come back down and die but before they do, they're going to do some in-time signs, okay? So every man is appointed once to die and after that to face judgment but Enoch did not die. He was taken to heaven and I believe he's an example of the rapture and those of us who are going to go right with our bodies being transformed into heaven. I believe in that. That's another discussion. But check out the faith that he had. He lived right before the time of Noah's flood, and yet he was so righteous that God said, I want you to come up here and be with me. And the way I look at it is like, he was so close to God. God's like, you come into my house all the time. Why don't you just spend the night now? Why don't you just stay over here? Anybody know what I'm talking about? And if you're not married, don't you all be doing that, okay? It, you keep it holy, all right? But listen, God's like, man, you here all the time. You're here all the time. Why don't you just stay up here? And so what is Enoch's example is that you can be this close to God on this earth. Oftentimes people say, don't be so heavenly minded so you're of no earthly good. Jesus was so heavenly minded, he changed the earth for good. You need to set your mind on things above. Enoch is our example that no matter how wicked the world is, you and God can be this close. Can I hear an amen? Let's get some amens in here for these people of faith as we review them. Now look at verse 7. By faith, Noah, when warned about things to come in holy fear, built an ark to save his family Noah was an example to us of someone that lived in a wicked generation and did something about it to protect his family. When I look at my wife and my children over here, I look at building an ark for them in my house to protect them with the word of God, with my prayers, with my teaching, so that when they're old, they will not depart. Anybody else here building an ark in their family? Because you want your family to go to heaven. You want to be with Jesus. Now, if my children want to break out of that ark and go into the flood, that is on them. I've already told them you are my responsibility to you are 18 but you want to break out the ark and you want to go to hell with the devil and the rest of them I'll go to heaven without you then Listen brothers and sisters sometimes people allow their family to their family to manipulate them as they're going to hell Just imagine that example in the ark are you jumping out the ark cuz the one crazy cousin jumps out the ark I ain't jumping out the ark oh man overboard there they go I'll see you, man. Like, imagine that. I'm not talking like by accident they fall off the ark. I'm talking about taking one of the planks, putting it on the edge, and doing some diving triple flip off the ark gainer. I'm like, no, man, I'm not following you off the ark. This is my house, and we're serving the Lord. I'm staying with Jesus. I want my wife to go to heaven with me, but if she wants to turn lesbian like this one pastor's wife did, she can do that and go to hell and figure it out on her own. I'm going to heaven with or without my wife. Are you listening to me? I made that decision. Now, she should be able to say the same thing about me and some pimping pastor that decide to have a couple chicks on the side. <laughs> she better look at me and say, you're going, you you better look at me and say, I'm going to heaven with or without you. Amen. Come on. How many know today it's your decision to go to heaven? There will not be in heaven a a, a family discount, you know what I mean by that? Or a family plan, like how you got those with your cell phone. No, no, no. Every person going to stand on their own that day. That's what Noah teaches us. He built an ark for his family, and he said, we're going to trust God. Let's keep going before I preach all of these over again. By faith, Abraham, when called to a place he would later receive as an inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. How often do you and I find ourselves in life without the GPS? We just have to trust God. Abraham showed us what it's like to trust God. This man is living in one country, and God says, I want you to leave this country and go to an entirely different country, a place you've never been with the people you don't know, a language you don't speak, and I want you to trust me that I'm going to make you a father of many in that nation. Abraham is like, he's known as Abram at that time, basically just means father. God changes his name to Abraham, which means multitude, a father of multitudes, exalted father. And so God gives him a promise he's going to do this. The dude is 75 years old. (laughs) Come on, can I hear an amen to some longevity here? He's 75 years old. He says, Lord, I'm willing to try, but I don't think it's going to work. He tries to make a baby so he can have a nation for almost 25 years until he's close to 100, and he still doesn't have it. Somebody say he gets an A for effort. He gets an A for effort. He was putting in work, man, but he didn't have any results. Then God waits to that last minute, comes to the nursing home and said, would y'all believe me one more time, put on some Art Kelly or Keith Green, because I know Art's canceled now, but put on some, uh, you know, not Keith Green, but Al Green. Sorry, Keith Green's a worship leader. (laughs) That would be something. If anybody knows Keith Green songs, that would be an awkward romantic moment, you know talks all about Jesus and heaven, Al Green, because I know, you know, he's canceled now. But, But listen to me, man. It's like, what? But yet God gives him a son, and then what does God tell him to do with the son? Take him to Disney World? Kill him. Kill him. Take the son I gave you and kill him. And by the way, this is not an excuse for people out of their mind to drown their children and say, God did it. Okay? Because I always got to cover that base. God is not asking anybody to test you right now to kill your children, even though some parents would want to. That is not coming from the Lord. Okay? But here's the thing. God tests them. And what is that a sign of? The father sending his son. Only begotten son, Abraham's only begotten son puts him on the altar. God spares him. Says, "I myself will provide the lamb." That's Jehovah Jireh. Praise God! And then we see the story of the Israelites come from there. And then that's why after we go through uh, Abraham's life right here, we hear mentioned that he had a son, verse 20, named Isaac. That had then his son named Jacob, and Jacob then had his son Joseph in the 12 tribes. And while Joseph was in Egypt, he trusted the Lord. Think about Joseph's life. Joseph. from having dreams. He was manifesting. He was putting all over his Instagram, you know, the dollar sign and, and all of these success things that were going to happen to him. A Lambo was up on his manifestation board. You all act like you have never done this before. Even if you never did it before, you still have pictures of things you like on your walls. How many have pictures of things you like on your walls? At least I did growing up. All these things he wanted. And yet when he told his dream, you know what he got, brother? He didn't get a pat on the back. He didn't get a book deal. He got thrown into a pit by his job. Je- brothers. Then in the pit, he gets sold into slavery, and he works for Potiphar. They're working for Potiphar. A desperate old housewife wants to get it on with old sexy Joseph, and Joseph says, man, I won't do this, and she gets so mad, she pulls off his robe. He runs away buck naked, and then Potiphar throws him in prison. Somebody say, the pit, to Potiphar's house, to prison, and yet the man kept his dream. He kept faith, man. He kept praying and believing. And then eventually he went to Pharaoh and he was in charge of stuff after that because the dreams that he had came true. So from the pit to Potiphar to prison to Pharaoh, God was faithful, amen? So we go from Joseph into Moses, of course, Moses, and the story of God's faithfulness, the parting of the Red Sea, and all these wonderful things. But it never would have happen, happened if Moses did not take his stand for righteousness. Notice what it says here in, in uh, Hebrews chapter 11, 24. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter because, remember, he was adopted by her when his mother sent him down the Nile so that he would not be killed. That was her, des- her desperate move. Now look at verse 25. He chose to be what? Oh, don't get quiet on me now. Help me. I don't want to miss the Bible for August up there. He became what? Mistreated along with the people of God. Thank you. Rather than to enjoy the what? Fleeting pleasures of sin. What a lesson to us. Moses' destiny as a deliverer came through his deliverance. Moses had to be delivered from his own personal sin so that he could see them delivered from their bondage. And that is a testimony to us. If you want to do something great for God, you want to be the next Moses, you want to see a generation change, you want to see people's lives impacted, you first have to be delivered. You have to make your decision. I'm not giving into the temporary pleasures of sin. I will not be deceived by what my culture puts in front of me. And you know what? We could spend some time here because young people, I want to highlight this out to sin is pleasurable, even to older people, right? Like sin is pleasurable. How many know if I committed an affair today on my wife, there could be pleasure in that temporarily? Don't get quiet in this Presbyterian church. Somebody give me a Pentecostal amen. Well, Pastor, I don't know. It might hurt. No, sex will feel good even in adultery. See, nobody wants to talk about that. See, everybody wants to act like in church, we're over the pleasure of sin. That is not true. Sin will be pleasurable for me today just as much as it was the day I got saved, November 5, 1995. It's been almost 30 years, but I'll tell you right now, getting high will still feel high. Having sex will still feel like sex. Pornography will still do stuff in my brain to turn me on. Is anybody listening to me? And slapping somebody in the mouth will still feel good if I get angry enough. Can I hear an amen from somebody? But if you Thank you. But if you want to be free from sin, you have to do what Moses did. You have to count that cost, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. In other words, you would rather die to that pleasure than to give in to it because you know that though uh, sin has pleasure, it is fleeting, and what God has is eternal. And so I don't stay true to my wife because I don't uh, like the feeling of adultery or I don't like the feeling of drugs. I don't stay true to sobriety because of that. In other words, I'm not doing this for my pleasure. I do it for my integrity. And that's why somebody like myself, you know, I always talk about this, pastors can fall so quickly. Just watch the Hillsong documentary on Hulu right now. Any pastor, any Christian, any pope, any leader that doesn't know The temptation and how real it can be to their lives will fall. The Bible says when you think you stand, be careful because that's when you fall. Amen? So when I tell you, man, I still have a pleasure towards sex outside of marriage other than with my wife, that's not to embarrass her and to have you leave the church and say, man, we can't trust this guy. No, it's to have you look at me and go like, he's being honest. So what keeps me from sin is not going, oh, that won't feel good. No, it's the consequence of it. See, everybody here, when we're tempted, if we could look ahead to what the consequence is, we would avoid that temptation because the, the, the pleasure is fleeting, but the consequence can last a long time. So imagine any of your pet sins, pornography, sex outside of marriage. Those are big ones. Sexuality. Paul lists those as the first three of the deeds of the flesh. That's why they're so popular. But also anger, selfishness, jealousy, all these things, right? They have their temporary benefit. But if you and I in our moments of temptation like Moses can look beyond the benefit and go, what is this going to look like to my marriage, to my family, to my kids after the pleasure is gone, that will keep you from sinning. Amen? Amen. After I slapped this person and now I'm catching a charge, do I really want to be in jail today? No. As the old timers used to say, one of us is going to jail, the other one to the hospital. And I'm calling my lawyer now because I ain't going to no hospital. Right? So listen, yeah, life can get quick. Get real like that. You think every murderer thought they were going to murder somebody? Man, it happens so quick. You can do these things so quickly. But you have to look beyond the temporary pleasure of the flesh. Why can you trust me as a pastor? Not because I've denied the pleasure. I'm walking on rice paper and I do the Buddhist, you know, mm, No, that's not why you trust me. Why you trust me is because I've been honest and I've counted that part of myself as dead. And then this is the promise that I've made to you is that at any time I want to while out, I'm not doing it in the church. I'm going back to the club. God have mercy on any pastor using their position to pimp. Can I hear an amen? Somebody say not around here. And so ladies and guys, whatever the flavor may be, I've heard pastors cheating on their wife with another dude, but listen to me. It doesn't matter what happens. Don't you all be the fool of that in in that situation, that indiscretion. Make your pastor, if he wants to cheat on his wife, go back to the club. Don't be one of those. Well, the is that he loved me and God brought us together and that's why he's counseling me. That's the story that I hear. One guy went to jail. He did that with a 16-year-old girl. He should be happy he didn't go to heaven because I would definitely be the first one to hit that switch. If not hell, he didn't repent. Are you all listening? There's a, there's a hell for a reason, people. But I listen to these pastor stories. Oh, this person in the church, they fell in love with the pastor, and then they ran away and did this. Man, what the hell with that? How many want the devil to go to hell? And how many don't want to go with him? So don't be abused by anybody in the church. And if you've been abused and anybody has touched you in naughty places or lied to you in this church, stand up for yourselves, do the right thing, get the police involved, get our leaders involved, including me, right? Like, so if I ever do the wrong thing, get out of this church and do the right thing. Amen? So don't fall for sin. That's why I cover all these bases, because we live in a world where this actually happens. Then moving on from Moses, we go to the time that we were just talking about, the people uh, marching around the walls of Jericho, shouting them down. And, And that tells us that whatever problems we're facing, God is bigger. God is bigger, and sometimes the victory is in your shout, and you have to learn like how they did to look at those walls of Jericho and shout it down in Jesus' name. In other words, if you're today fa- facing a lack or a, a discouragement or emotional you know, depression, anxiety, these things, we have to learn to speak at our wall in the name of Jesus and watch it fall down. Praise God, I'm thankful for that. Then we learn about the prostitute, Rahab. The world would call her a trick, a hoe, but she was a prostitute back then. Somebody say, a hoe? No mo. Oh, y'all don't talk like that? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I guess I grieve the Holy Spirit then. She's a prostitute, a whore. That's what they say in the King James, but she was a ho no more. She was not going to do that anymore. What did she do? She turned to the men and women of God, and she was obedient to help people for a righteous cause. Rahab is actually in the lineage of Jesus. Isn't that amazing? She went from being on OnlyFans to being one of those looked at as the heritage of our faith. Praise God. Aren't you glad you have a pastor that can relate to what you know about? (laughs) Pastor, crazy. That's why we clapping. I love this church. She's crazy like me. That's why we have a certain kind of person that we draw in here. You know what I'm saying? We all may not look alike. We all may not do the same things in the same way, but there's something about us that's unique that we show up here every Sunday. I wasn't even doing that to be funny. I'm just putting it in your mind. She was a prostitute. She stopped being one, and she became who God called her to be, and she became a woman of destiny. Thank God for that. I just, I look at those Turnaround stories, and I find myself in them. You know, like, man, if God, you can use Rahab, you can use me. She didn't come from a good family. She didn't have any right to be in the heritage of Israel. First of all, she's a pagan. She's in a pagan nation, so she could have been the best pagan there was. She still was gonna get destroyed that day. By the way, in Jericho, a lot of nice pagans died that day. Oftentimes, I think about my neighbors and how amazing they are. You know, uh, sometimes we go on vacation, we leave out our garbage. Man, my neighbors will put it away. Anybody have nice neighbors? Nobody, I used to have crazy neighbors. Some of y'all have crazy neighbors? How many of y'all don't like answering questions in church? Let's be honest. You either have crazy neighbors or good neighbors or just, eh, just average neighbors. But I got good neighbors. Come on, princess. I got some good neighbors. So I got neighbors around my house that put my garbage can away that, you know, if we leave our lights on or leave our garage door open, they come and say, hey, man, you left your garage door open. You want us to shut it for you, something like that. But if they don't know Jesus, they're going to hell. They're going to hell. And that breaks my heart. So I always pray for people like Rahab to come into my life. It doesn't matter their past. It doesn't matter what they've been through. Lord, bring me to those who are ready to repent, ready to accept the gospel and do the right thing. And as you see in the story of Rahab, she paid the price, man. They were going to kill her, man. They, they thought she was a traitor. But before they could, before they could turn against her, God brought those walls down. And as I showed you in that message, th- this is not like that conspiracy stuff you find on Instagram, but real archaeologists have found the walls of Jericho, and guess what? They're broken. They're not there anymore. Of course, a lot of walls aren't there anymore, but these specific walls fell on each other, so something happened there that was a fall. It wasn't necessarily like blowed up or plowed down. It fell on top of each other, and you know what? They discovered in their excavation, there was a part of the wall that was still standing, and so we believe that's where old Rahab was at because God promised her that he would keep her safe, amen, and so God knows how to keep you safe. Now, everybody say, that was the introduction. Let's get to the message. Verse 32, the world was not worthy of them. Our author now takes his time to list out six people by name and summarize primarily like the whole Old Testament here. So he's amazing. Let's follow with it. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to talk about... Gideon, Barak, Samson, Japheth, about David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions. Who was that? Do you guys remember who that was? Somebody say, Daniel. Thank you. Who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames. Who was that? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced cheers, flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. That would hurt. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated, And this is one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made what? Perfect. Thank you. And so starting at the end, working our way back, the reason why Paul says... I believe he's the author of Hebrews, says they did not receive what they were promised is because all of them were waiting for something greater than the smaller promises they received along the way. In other words, all of them were waiting for the Messiah and a new covenant. So yes, Abraham received a son, but what was he really waiting for? Jesus, the one and only son. Yes, Moses was delivered and his people came out of Egypt, but what was he wanting to see? The deliverance of the people of God from the power of Satan. Yes, people like Rahab got saved out of destruction. But what were they waiting for? Jesus to destroy death, hell, and the grave. So this author, right after the time of Jesus' ascension to heaven, is saying these people of faith were awesome and they were given a lot of promises. But the biggest promise, which would be the new covenant, they didn't receive until we received it at this point. So everyone think about this. As great as all of those people were, We are even greater in the sense of we get what they didn't have. We get to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Jesus said it like this about John the Baptist. He said, John the Baptist is the greatest man born among women. Nobody is greater than John. And why was John probably the greatest in Jesus' mind? Is because he was the last of the Old Testament prophets introducing and preparing the way for Jesus. But what did Jesus go on to say? Those who are least in the kingdom are greater than John. You see, that doesn't give us a boasting in our flesh because we have nothing to boast in, but it gives us a boast, a praise, a shout to God because the new covenant is that amazing. For you, it just may be church as usual, just the Bible. I've read this. These are Sunday school stories I know, Pastor. But listen, according to the Scriptures, you and I are living out the greatest times that people ever could have. They long to have what we have now. As a matter of fact, the Bible says the angels wish they could have what we have. How many are thankful for the new covenant today? I know I am. I know that I have a personal relationship with Jesus, and I couldn't imagine anything other than that. Think about those Old Testament saints. They had to go to a place to talk to Jesus for a certain amount of time, and then they had to go through their priest. I know Catholics, you know, they're nice people, but I couldn't imagine having to wait to be with God until the Pope came around or to the confessional booth to know that I can walk and talk with Jesus. David said it like this, better is one day with you than a thousand elsewhere. David said, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. And that was his desire, but he couldn't have it. I mean, because you can't live in the temple. There's not bathrooms in the temple. There's nowhere to eat in the temple, but that's how much he loved the Lord's presence. And yet now we in the New Testament in church, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And yet so many of us, we take it for granted and we don't think of it as an awesome privilege. Brothers and sisters, we should wake up every day and thank God for this privilege to know him and to be with him. It doesn't mean we won't face temptations and trials, but we have a Holy Ghost advantage. We have a cheat code. Amen? We have a cheat code. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. Now looking back at these people, they were special to the old covenant because every now and then the Holy Spirit would come on them. But remember in the new covenant, the Holy Spirit has come on all of us. Let's go over these six named uh, heroes of the faith. Gideon. How many have heard about Gideon before? The Bible talks about Gideon in Judges 6 through 10. Judges 6 through 10, basically, or 6 through 8, rather. Basically, Gideon, he's the least of his family. He feels like he has nothing to offer. But what does the angel of the Lord say to Gideon? How does he greet him when he says, yo, what's up, man? What does he say to Gideon? You mighty warrior. Somebody's read their Bible. You see, God saw something in Gideon that he didn't see in himself. God sees in us the mighty warrior, when all we see is our problems and issues. He then argues with the angel of the Lord. How many know if an angel comes to you, it's good not to argue? But he argued. He did it. He's having an argument with the angel like, hey, I don't think I'm the right one. I don't think you have the right family. Wrong number. He then puts out a fleece to the Lord, not once but twice. And then finally, he believes it. I just want to know, does anybody here believe it the first time you heard God say, you're more than a conqueror? Probably not, and if you did, if you believe it now, it's amazing. But you know what? Most of us have not believed it either, and we've been told we're more than conquerors. How many have started to believe it at least? How many are fighting to believe it? You're, so you're still. Uh, it's a, it's a battle. I don't know. I don't feel like a conqueror. You know, you got to look at yourself in the mirror. I'm amazing. I'm awesome. I can do this. That's a joke from Saturday Night Live when I was growing up. But I'll tell you the what. If you believe who God said you are, you better look in that mirror and say, I'm a mighty man or woman of God. You better start fighting that good fight of faith because it starts right here in your mind. Oftentimes, you and I are our worst enemies. God is saying to us, you can do this, and we're saying, no, I can't. God is basically saying, yes, you can, and we're arguing back and forth with him. And this is the way I look at it because you have to understand he's the great I am even though you're the great I'm not. So God says, I am able, Joe, to make you holy. And what was my first excuse back to God? Man, I ain't holy. God, do you remember the the girls I used to be with, the places I used to go? I'm like a Rahab. I'm not holy. But what does he say? I am holy. See, I say I'm not holy, but what does God say? I am holy. Now, what am I going to believe? Am I going to stay who I am or be like him? He said, be holy for I am holy. God says to us, you can be victorious in life over your temptations, your fears, your sins. We can have courage to fight the battles that are before us. And what do we say back to him? Man, God, I'm not courageous. I don't have any strength. God, I'm weak. But what does God say back to us? I am your strength. I am your power. I am your deliverer. Now, do we believe what God said or do we take what we say? Brothers and sisters, most of my counseling as a pastor could be dealt with with your thought life. If you believed what God said you be, he, he said about you and you believed it, I wouldn't have to try to talk you into it. Think about that. Man, how many problems do we have when we don't believe? The times that I've been the worst as a father, the times I've been the worst as a husband, it's when I don't believe I can do better. In other words, man, in my family, they yell, God, I'm not patient. How can I be patient with six kids? And God says, I am patient. God says, I am endurance, long-suffering. I've given you that fruit. Mm, eat it today. And I'm like, man, I'm not that. And God says, I am that. Now, if I stay angry, if I stay impatient, is that my wife's fault? Is that my kid's fault? Is it my hormones, my, like, dad bod fault? (laughs) I'm telling you, I get hangry, though, by the way. I get hangry. My wife has a certain time of the month that we need extra prayers for. I'm just being honest with you. And then I have a certain time of the day. If I have not eaten my lunch, you better pray for me, okay? Both is in the natural. Both is in the natural. But I can't use it as an excuse I am not, but God is, so therefore do I want to change? Think about that. Will you be like a Gideon that just argues with God and that be the end of your story? Or will you, after you've argued with God, you've made all your points, will you then trust God? Amen? How many want to be like Gideon? Say, Lord, make me like Gideon, a person of courage. Amen. The next one that we learn about is Barak. Barak is found in Judges 4 through 5. You know what's amazing about Barak? He trusted somebody. Who did Barack trust? Deborah. That's what's up. You see, Barack was awesome because he trusted a woman of God in his life. Think about that for a minute. There is literally a dude mentioned in the Bible, and the greatest thing he did was trust the female prophet. There are uh, so many redemption stories of women in the Bible that for anyone to deny the equality of women in ministry, it makes me wonder if they actually have read the Bible. I'm not saying that men and women are equal in every way. We are different in many ways. But what I'm saying we're equal in is our ability to lead God's people. Can I hear an amen to that? Think about this. They say, well, women can't teach, and yet women teach our children. They say women can't lead, and yet women will lead their homes. They say women are too emotional, and yet so many women in my life have helped me stop being emotional and see things clearly. Come on. We say oftentimes, well, they're the weaker vessel. They sin first. Yes, but we also are weak in our sins and our temptations as men. Why would we not want the strength of a bicycle and choose to ride on a unicycle, one-wheel bike, I look at Deborah, she was a prophet. It wasn't normal for that time, and yes, times in the New Testament, women's roles have been restricted. I'm the first one to admit that, and if I have any loudmouth women in the church, I'll restrict them as well. Any misappropriating women, I'll check them too, but guess what? I'm also going to deal with cocky dudes. Can I hear an amen to that? I'm also going to deal with rebellious, false dudes that think they're men and they're really not their boys, so why do we only look at the restriction towards women in the New Testament and say that applies, Well, we don't look at the restrictions that men had to have over their lives at different times. In other words, men, when was the last time you kissed another man on the lips and said "holy kiss time," and yet that's a command of the Bible to greet each other with the holy kiss. Who wants to kiss, Pastor? I don't know about you, but when the Dalai Lama was kissing on folks, it was gross. Anybody remember that? That was that was going around uh, Facebook. But no, it was men with men, but holy kiss. And we understand the culture of slaves obey your master. We're not thinking that's Kuta Kinte obeying Bubba in the South. We understand there's culture, but yet we can't do that when it comes to women in the Bible. We think that the women still are under the cultural regulations that were popular at that time. And then I ask my friends who regulate the roles of women in the ministry, do you also regulate them not braiding their hair Because that's one of the things that they were forbidden to do was braid hair. How about wearing pearls? The Bible says they cannot wear pearls. And then it goes so far, not just to restrict some uh, talents or abilities in the church. It says they can't even talk for them to remain silent. And then if they have questions, to ask their husband at home. It's always funny to me when a woman argues with me about having women pastors, and then I tell her, why are you as a woman talking about women uh, uh, pastoral things to me? You can't even talk to me without your husband. Be quiet, woman, and go home. Think about the ridiculousness of that. Why do y'all have women pastors up in here? You shouldn't be doing that. Woman, if you believe what you say, then be quiet. Pastors talking. I'm the one that allows you to talk, and then you're going to say to me, now that you're talking, I can't allow you to talk. That is, hypocrisy. that is hypocrisy at its finest. I give freedom and rights to women to argue with me. That's the first thing you got permission to do was argue with me because at your church you wouldn't even be able to argue with me. So now at least thank me for giving you some equality. And then I'm telling you, people want to say things about our church, and yet they don't understand how we go out of our way to understand Paul in his context And then I pointed them to scriptures in the Old Testament about Deborah being a prophet. And they go, oh, that was different. Look at Acts chapter 2 with me quickly. No, it wasn't just that it it was a one-off thing. It was that God was preparing the way for sons and daughters to come into the kingdom with power and authority. Can I hear an amen? I don't know about you, but I would rather trust what the word of God says than what just my culture says. Can I hear an amen to them? Look at Acts chapter 2 when Paul quotes from Joel. He says in verse 17, In the last days I will pour out my spirit on only the men. Your sons will prophesy and your men will see visions. Is that what it says? It says I will pour out my spirit on how many people? All people. Your sons and daughters will what? Prophesy. Both of them will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and what? Women. I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will what? Prophesy. No, Deborah wasn't just a one-off. Deborah was a beginning of a breakthrough for the women prophets to raise up. And once again, listen, if you don't want a woman prophet, pastor, preacher, teacher, whatever, go to whatever church you can have them be quiet at, but they won't be quiet here. Amen? Like, I'm just being honest with you. I want to go to a church where the women are told to be quiet and they wear a doily on their head and they can't talk. Okay, well, find a church that does that then. I order you to. You know what I'm saying? Seriously, like, be, you know, be who you want to be. I grew up around the Amish, and people think I talk about that as a joke. No, they still exist. You want to go be Amish, I'll drive you down to Fort Wayne, Indiana in about 10 m- minutes outside of where I grew up, and you'll start to know you're an Amish because you'll smell Amish country, as we used to say. <laughs> Y'all don't know anything about farmland? And they don't believe in deodorant either, okay? So you get around there, you smell the animals, and you smell the humans, Okay? And you'll see what it's like to be Amish. You can be Amish if you want. If that's what you want, then go do that in Jesus' name. But what I want to do is I want to affirm women in the ministry. I want them to go as far as God told them to go. I want them to be prophets. I want them to be leaders. Now, some of you would say, Pastor, I feel more comfortable with a a man in charge of the church. That's great. That's that's between you and the Lord. But that doesn't mean a woman couldn't be in charge of the church. One of my spiritual mothers from Bible college was a female pastor, and she started a church in Guyana, South America, and is an amazing woman of God. Heidi Baker has started over uh, 1,500 churches in Mozambique. She's married. She has a wonderful husband. But she's the leader in the voice of the Iris Ministries. Can I hear an Amen. There are churches and Bible colleges in this nation that owe the founding of that to women. And yet now today we need a Me Too March to help us understand this in the church. Not around here. Amen? I don't need the world to tell me anything. I don't need the world to tell me slavery is wrong. We knew that was wrong. I don't need the world to tell me that women can have equal rights and privileges. The Bible told me about that. Amen? Amen? I don't need permission from the world to stand up for just causes. The women suffrage movement in the United States of America was led by Christian women. Christian women, women, Susan B. Anthony was a Christian, not an atheist, and certainly not a feminist with a nose ring wanting to be a lesbian non-binary person that had purple hair. Can I hear an amen? These were feminine women who fought for the right because they saw it in the scriptures. The Christian abolitionists who fought for the freedom of like, like, like Harriet Tubman, those, they were Christians. Can I hear an Amen. They were, Booker T. Washington was a Christian. Christians led the way in the abolition movement. Christians led the way in the women's suffrage movement. Christians are leading the way in the pro-life movement. Can I hear an amen? Now I'm getting free. Is any other sister free in here? This is the work I do for the sisters. And I know for many, it's just leave it alone. Don't talk about it. No. When I look at this story and I see Barack, it literally says the one thing that he did is he trusted a woman and he knew how to follow her lead. That does not mean that we don't agree with uh, roles of gender in the family. A husband is a gender role. That can only be a man. A wife can only be a woman. Can I hear an amen to that? And the Bible says in the family, the husband is in charge. So that's a gender role assigned to a position. But like in our culture, say a president is in charge. Does that come with a gender No, you could be male or female, a policeman or woman, right? Well, in the Bible, it says there's elders and deacons. Those do not come with genders. Now, some people say, well, it has to be the husband of one wife. But you see, that was their way of regulating polygamy, not saying it couldn't be a woman. How do I know? Because the same book calls a woman an elder. In the same book of 1 Timothy, women are called elders. Can I hear an amen? And then it says deacons have to be the husband of one wife. And Paul, the same author in Romans chapter 16, calls Phoebe a deacon. It also goes on to say that there are male and female apostles, Andrew and Junia, which, by the way, the Roman Catholic Church hated, tried to change Junia's name to Junius to be two men going together planting churches. Thank God manuscripts were spared from Roman Catholicism. Do not believe that they ever had control over our Bible. We're still discovering manuscripts they couldn't touch. And our manuscripts defend that it was Andrew Nikes, the man, and Junia, the wife, are outstanding among the apostles. And one of our church fathers, Christendom, he said among the church descriptions, there was no greater title ever given to people than this title. They were known among the apostles. He says, and it was given to a man and a woman. The church fathers affirmed this. And then over time, they began to shun the women. You know, what's even sad to me is that many of us here come from Pentecostal backgrounds, and then we shun the women, and yet it was them that was preaching the gospel with the men all throughout the countrysides. Like I said, starting the Bible colleges, and yet at some point, like in the 50s or 60s, they wanted to see more um, like the Mainline denomination, so Pentecostals began to restrict women's uh, rights in the church when they had been there at the beginning. Anybody heard here of Amy Simple McPherson? She was a woman in Los Angeles that started the Foursquare Gospel denomination, an entire denomination, and yet Pentecostals began to restrict them. So we, brothers and sisters, we affirm them here. I want to be like a Barack. Amen. Okay, the next one we see here is Japheth. Japheth is talked about. Or rather, Samson, thank you. Uh, The next one we see here is Samson. How many know who Samson is in the Bible? He's a pretty popular gentleman, Judges 13 through 16. We know a lot about Samson, but you know what? It's the end of the story that I want to talk about. Samson's humility. Samson was given power by God to do great and mighty things, and I don't believe he looked like the rock to do it. Joselito, would you stand up? I think he looked like Joselito. Let's give it up for Joselito today. Just an ordinary guy doing extraordinary things. You may be seated. If, think about it, if Samson's strength came from his muscles, then why do they keep asking him, how are you so strong? Right? That makes no sense. Obviously, dude, you're juicing. You are not natty. This is why you are picking up stuff and throwing them around. This is obvious. I don't have to ask you where the secret of your power comes from. You're a big, muscular dude. But if you see somebody like Peter Parker, like, slapping people around and throwing them around, then that makes you question, what happened here, right? And so when you look at Hosolito, and if he started beating up on people, throwing them around, you'd be like, bro, what's going on? How'd you do all that? jujitsu or what, you know? But then, if he had some long locks, you know, where's where's my dude, man? Come on up here, Rudy. Let's give it up for Rudy and the dude with long hair. Come on up here. Can you take it out that ponytail, stunner? Yeah. <laughs> now, ladies, don't you stumble. This is a married man who loves God. Okay. But I just want I just want an example of Samson. And then this is what. There he is. And then this is the weirdest thing. Then we tell people in church, boys can't have long hair. I'm telling you, man, some people grew up in traditional churches like the Fundamental Baptists, okay? The Fundamental Baptists, this is the joke about them. You'll see them because they love their pictures. You'll go into the Fundamental Baptist church and you'll see Jesus with long hair, a beard, and wearing sandals. And then you look at all of the preachers, clean cut, short hair, wearing suits with their nice shoes on. How many know what I'm talking about? You don't look like you're Jesus. And if you would come into the fundamental Baptist church with long hair, a beard, and a robe and sandals, they would throw you out. And yet that's what their Jesus looked like. Here's what Samson looked like with the long hair. And they kept asking him. though you've got to stay up here just a little bit longer. And they kept asking him where the power came from, manipulating Delilah, all of these things, and eventually... She cut or had them cut his hair, and then he didn't have his strength. But everybody get this. We're not cutting it up here today. But watch this. Here's what I want to say about Samson. At the end of his life, his hair grew back. And this is where he became humble. They gouged out his eyes. They had captured him. They put him like a mule to grind up the grain. And yet he said to the Lord in that humble state, give me one more chance to do something great for you. Let's give it up for a great man with long hair. Amen. Amen. God is the God of second and third chances. So God can use you like he used Samson, even if it seems like you're at the end of your life. Now the next one, moving on to Japheth. Most of us do not know Japheth, but he's a person of honor. He was in the time of the judges and picked by God to defend against the enemies of God who wanted to take back their land. So remember when Joshua went into the promised land, there were other people there. And God told them to have that land. And the conquistadors did the same thing, but they didn't have God's word. Let's be very clear about that. These are people led by God conquering nations because they have been wicked and evil. But now they started to rise up power and they said, we want to take back our land. Well, God raised up Japheth to defend the land and he was a person of honor. And I have to say this, though. He made a mistake, and the judges tell a lot of sad stories, like Samson is a sad story. Japheth's sad story is he made a vow to God that if he won the battle, whatever he would see coming to greet him or see first when he came back to his farm, he would sacrifice to the Lord. But guess who was the first one greeting him? His daughter, and so we see a tragedy there. Now, some people have worked around it and said that that just meant he gave his, his uh, daughter to the Lord like how Hannah gave uh, uh, Samuel to the Lord so that she became dedicated as a virgin to the Lord, like, like in temple service. But people like myself believe he actually sacrificed her, and this is a wickedness that was done. But Japheth was not told by God to do that. And so the reason why I believe he's brought up here with Samson and others is we're supposed to remember that God used him in an honorable way, but we can also end in a bad way. Because remember, we're not supposed to think everything goes right in these people's lives, because how many know Samson made a lot of mistakes along the way? So I believe that's about Japheth as well. But if you want to take the softer understanding that he simply dedicated his daughter to the ministry, you can do that. The next one that we see is David. Now, for many of us, it's like, why isn't David put at the top or listed with all of these others? I think it's because David here is coming at the end of a timeline. If you notice here, it goes from like Noah to to Abraham to Moses and so forth. And so now it runs through Judges, and then it goes to prophets and kings. It's not that the author didn't think it was important. He said he had ran out of time, and then he mentions David. But one of the things that I would like to point out about David in 1 Samuel 13, 14 is his heart after God. How many believe even though David sinned greatly, he still had a heart after God? Amen? And that's what I think we need to remember about him because remember, the, the author here is not confer, uh, you know, affirming all of his life. He uh, cheated on his wife. He had Uriah killed. He lied about it. This is wicked. But David is still in the hall of faith because he had a heart after God. And then lastly here we see Samuel. How many remember Samuel in the Bible? I believe Samuel is an example to us in 1 Samuel chapter 3 of a man of integrity. He lived his life in a time when the judges were changing over to the kings, and they were rejecting the things of God, and he was called to raise up a king. First king was Saul. Saul turns away from God. He has to anoint somebody else. He's the one that anoints David. And yet during this whole time, Samuel never loses his integrity. How many want to be like Samuel and keep your integrity? Notice this. Even if your leaders rise and fall, keep integrity. So, what does the author say here? He says, I don't have enough time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Japheth, David, Samuel, and the prophets, which are the, New, uh, the Old Testament saints before us. Now, what did they do? Notice what they did. They conquered kingdoms. How many know David and the kings conquered kingdoms, right? They administered justice. What else did they do? They gained what was promised. They shut the mouths of lions. That's Daniel. Quenched the fire of the fury of the flames. That's uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They escaped the edge of the sword. Who do I think that's referring to there? I think that's referring to Jeremiah. I have it in our notes. If you have our app or the website, you can see that I have a quote there from Jeremiah. Jeremiah. But not only were some of them saved, uh, or rather I have Moses there being spared, but not only were some of them saved, the Bible also says that they began to have persecution. But let's go through what they were saved from. They were saved from lions, saved from flames, saved from the edge of the sword, saved from their weakness, and saved from times of foreign battles or foreign armies. How many want to see God save you from all of that? Women received back their dead that's talking about Elijah. There were others now. Now notice this. This is the thing that you have to, to get here. It goes from the highest of victories, raising the dead to the very next sentence, They were there were others who were tortured. So if you ever find yourself at a mountaintop, there may also be a valley below. Think about that for a second. It's This chapter of Hebrews 11 is to get us so pumped that you are ready to live for God no matter what you face. And the author could have left us just with all the highlight reels, like all of the Instagram stuff. And yet right here it switches from the dead being raised, man, that's amazing, to some were tortured. And then now notice the turn that it says. Refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. So they could have been released. They could have said, hey, man, let me out. I won't do the Jesus thing anymore. I'm not going to preach like this. And yet they chose to stay in persecution. Some faced jeers, floggings, and even chains and imprisonment. Look at Jeremiah with me, chapter 20. Let's go through a few of these in closing. Can I hear an amen to that? I just want to encourage you with suffering for Jesus because I don't want you to think it's strange when you and I go through hardships. Corey Tim Boone worked in the time of the Holocaust. Her parents helped rescue Jews in the Netherlands. She was eventually arrested with her family, put into concentration camps. And when she came out, do you know what she dedicated her life to? The persecuted church. She could have went and retired somewhere in a Caribbean island, but she wanted to help people face times of suffering. Brothers and sisters, I want to help you to do that today. Even though I may not have suffered like these here, I want to be a good pastor and prepare you for times like this. Notice right here in Jeremiah... In Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 1, what our precious prophet goes through. It says, when the priest, Pashar, son of Imar, the official in charge of the temple of the Lord, heard Jeremiah prophesying these things, he had Jeremiah the prophet beaten and put into the stocks at the upper gate of Benjamin at the Lord's temple. Imagine this. Your greatest sermon, like Stephen, ends up with you being stoned. That's in the New Testament, right? Stephen preaches his greatest sermon. What does he get for it? He's stoned. Jeremiah's prophesying, and what does the high priest do? Beats him in front of the temple. This is what our brothers and sisters have gone through in the past. Not only that, but I want to give you some nameless and faceless people that we don't think about. Look at um, 2 Chronicles chapter 24, verse 17. When was the last time you read 2 Chronicles, by the way, right? I read the Bible yearly and it kind of like forces me to go through it. But I'll tell you what, man, it just goes right by me. You know, it's like this person did this and this person did that and this person did this. When I was going back over this sermon and I was looking at all of these references here, this is 2 uh, Chronicles 24, I go, man, this was a hero. I, did, I didn't even catch this. This is, like, this is like what we should admire to be like. Look at 2 Chronicles chapter 24, 17. If you're there, say I'm there. Amen. Notice what happens here. After the death of Jehoiada, the officials of Judah came and paid homage to the king, and he listened to them. They abandoned the temple of the Lord, the God of their ancestors, and worshiped Asherah poles and idols. So notice this, like this person comes over and starts deceiving them, and they're listening. Because of their guilt, God's anger came on Judah and Jerusalem. Although the Lord sent prophets to the people uh, to bring them back, and though they testified against them, they would not listen. Now notice this. God would send prophets to these kings and say, come back to God. Now, here's one that I just, I'm telling you, I've read the Bible, I don't know, a hundred times maybe. I've done it many, many times through. I've read Chronicles, uh, you know, so many times. But notice this story. can go right over your head. Then the Spirit of God came on Zechariah, son of Jehoiada. So this is a son of a good guy, right? And priest. He stood up before the people and said, this is what God says. I can imagine someone saying this right now. Why do you disobey the Lord's commands? You will not prosper. Because you have forsaken the Lord, he has forsaken you. But what did they do to him? Notice this unsung hero of the Bible. But they plotted against him by the order of the king. They stoned him to death in the courtyard of the Lord's temple. Just for saying, you will not prosper living in sin. How long do you think it's going to be till we'll have friends that we can relate to like this? How long do you think it's going to be till we know more martyrs? Dr. Michael Brown goes and preaches the gospel in India, and he's already uh, met some of the martyrs from those uh, their wives and their family from those places. I haven't met a martyr's family yet, but I'm sure it will come in my life at some point. But how close are we now in America to where they're like, man, we don't want to hear that. Remember, John the Baptist was beheaded for simply saying to the leader, the governor of that area, you're in adultery and it's sin. And what did they do? Cut off his head. Brothers and sisters, don't be discouraged by times of trials and tests. Keep on going with me here. What else do we learn? They were, you know, put in prison. They faced jeers, flogging. Verse 36, chains and imprisonment. They were put to death, sawn in two. You know who they believe was sawn in two? Isaiah the prophet. Isaiah was living during the same kind of times of Jeremiah, though at a different generation, but the same kind of things were happening. They were chasing him down, as the Jewish history goes. He hid inside of the trunk of a tree, and then they cut down the tree with him in it. That's what they did to one of our favorite prophets. Notice what else it says here. They were killed by sword, right? They went about in sheepskins, goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. Think about how bad it was during some of these times that they had to put garments on themselves to pretend to be animals and travel by night. I think about today the underground church in China that has to travel by night, having their church services in underground locations. And when they get caught, they're sentenced to jail. I was having our church leadership watch one of these uh, documentaries about them, and it was talking about how these pastors are always targeted because they believe if they can jail them, they can stop the movement. And so now it's gotten to the point where the pastors don't know who to trust because they're continually betrayed by people who come into the ranks. You know, Christians are open to receiving people, that now... Now they ask the pastors as a matter of qualification, have you been arrested because we won't trust you to lead our churches unless you've already been to jail. And one missionary says that many have been to jail four and five times for three months to six months to a year at a time. They say right now even worse than China is North Korea. We've heard about that, right? But for the Christians, there are actually concentration camps like you heard about during the time of the Holocaust. They are existing today in places like North Korea, not to mention our brothers and sisters in Pakistan and Afghanistan and Syria, the places where the Taliban and the ISIS and these Islamic terrorists take over. The first ones they go for is the Christians, and then what they do to subdue them is they rape their women, take their daughters as wives, and there's nothing they can do about it. Brothers and sisters, the world is suffering, or, the, or rather the Christians are suffering in the world, but the world is not worthy of them. Think about that. Christians are suffering in the world today, but the world is not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. I couldn't imagine that, living in a hole in the ground. And yet the Bible says they were commended for their faith. Will someone come onto the keyboard for me, please? Maybe not the hypest way you want to end this message, but I feel like we need to let that sink in. I have bracelets available for you for free to remind us of the underground church. It's a barbed wire that I wear, you know, in the form of a bracelet. Because, brothers or sisters, we can't end this chapter of faith without understanding suffering. What are you willing to do for your Jesus? How far are you willing to go? I think about all of our soldiers, those that we love, who have served our country, even like policemen and women, and you think about, like, if they weren't willing to suffer, we wouldn't have what we have today. If these prophets of the Old Testament were not willing to lay down their lives, we would not have these scriptures. And then you take from the book of Hebrews... To what happened to our heroes, there's a whole nother list. In other words, if you want to read Hebrews 11, but in the context of the church, because this is the Old Testament, go online and research Fox's Book of Martyrs. It tells you how our disciples died. Thomas, you know, remember Doubting Thomas? He, he goes to India. He gets speared to death. You think about our brothers and sisters, Peter who was once a coward yet becomes courageous, he's crucified upside down in Rome as a mockery to Jesus. Our disciples are then spread out through the world in the Roman Empire, and Rome is okay with Christians for a little bit. Primarily, if you look at the New Testament and before 70 AD, the Christians are dying by the Jews. But then the Jews get persecuted, and the Ro- and then Rome is done with this sect, that's how they saw it, of Judaism. And so Nero raises up. That was the emperor who would impale Christians on stakes, set them on fire. That became known later on in history as Roman candles. Paul was beheaded by Nero. Nero blamed a fire that happened in his city on the Christians and began torturing them. Christians then became part of entertainment. They would be placed into the gladiator arenas. Of course, bloodthirst was already in Rome, but the Christians were an easy population to put in there for their entertainment. And so if you could, please, in closing, put up the picture. It's an artistic drawing, obviously, of them in the arenas. And one man is standing up, but the rest of them are ready to face the death with the lions. I think about this because, as I said before, I don't know what suffering awaits us. And I know it may not be this extreme, but let me finish this before we go to you getting fired from your job, okay? Let me just make sure we're covering this because this is in our Bible for a reason. You will suffer in other ways less than this, so will I. People will betray you, you'll get fired, you'll you'll lose your 401k because of a corrupt CEO. Okay, we'll get to that. But let's just go to literally what they're talking about here. People putting on animal skin, living in holes. Okay, let's just talk about this for a minute. From the time of Nero, what then happened was the emperors knew it's not dying, it's multiplying. So then they made it illegal And some of the worst persecutions that have ever been on this planet, like the Holocaust, like slavery, began to happen to the Christians for almost 300 years. The stories are found in our history books, like I said, Fox's Book of Martyrs. The Romans would rape the women continually until, listen, it became a controversy in the early church, is it wrong for women who know they're going to be raped to commit suicide? Thank you. Yeah, click on that picture right up top there. Make that our screen right now, please. Think about that. Imagine me having to bury so many of our sisters because they're committing suicide because they know that Rome is coming to find them, okay? Once you get this, they won't be distracted, okay? I just need this to be the full screen right now. Can you do that for me, please? Because I see they're distracted. I just need that to be. Thank you. This is very serious. I want you to think about this the whole screen. You know how to take us, can you guys help him get this picture off the internet? There we go. Thank you. Thank you. I want everyone to think about this because I'm reading through this as a pastor. I have problems in the church, right? Like Joe has problems. Okay, what's your problem, Joe? Okay, we have marriages that are upset. We've got to figure this out. We have kids that aren't listening to their parents. Imagine this. That's, I want this to be heard. The controversy in the height of the Roman persecution was Is it acceptable for the women, the young women, to commit suicide before Rome rapes them? That is how real suffering was for them. The church had to gather together because they would see, they would come into their villages, and they would see them coming, and they would jump off the cliffs. They would go drown themselves. The women would go kill themselves. And so the pastors and the leaders are burying the women, and suicide is a sin in the church. And so now they had to begin to answer the question, how do we counsel our daughters? I have my daughter here. I'm not going to have her stand up like I did Rudy, but I just, just imagine this, the daughters being raped. How do we counsel them? And the church said it was not a sin. They, they ruled on it. Because it's like a person dying in battle. This is them dying in battle. So it wasn't them choosing not to to follow God, to commit suicide, take their life in their own hand. But then the church counseled them so they wouldn't, uh, so they wanted a Christian burial, in other words. They wouldn't be refused a Christian burial, but they were then counseled, the women, to have courage to face it because even in the face of great, immense suffering, they need to show the testimony of Christ. So imagine this. Imagine me saying to my daughter, you could jump off this cliff if you want, and I think God will still accept you because it's not the suicide that we're forbidding. But I'm counseling you to stand in your testimony as we do everything we can. Not to allow victimization, but as we do our best to provide safety and all this. When it comes to it, don't kill yourself. Suffer in the name of Christ. This is hideous. I can't even imagine this. Then what they did to the parents is they would kill the children first, and the parents would watch. So you would see a scene like this. Here's the Christians, just imagine this, the the sounds of Soldier Stadium at the height of its excitement and uproar, the bloodthirst. Your brothers and sisters are already here. They're dying, and then you're next. Oftentimes what they would do, if it wasn't a line or it was a fight or something, they would say, send out the children first. So you as a Christian would have to watch your children go into the arena first. My children right here. Look at them. You can look at them. It's okay. Imagine them being sent into the arena first. This is how Christians were treated. So brothers and sisters, when we think about Christianity, we're not thinking about God bless America. I'm a Christian. I love my Bible guns and God and glory. Christianity was not built out of the white South. Christianity came through persecution. We died for what we believed in. I want you to understand this now because we don't back down because times change. When we were Christians then, the emperors were homosexual. They were pederasts. They had sex with their children, uh, y- young boys in the Roman armies. This was their disgusting way of raising them up. You can study about even the, possibly the Spartans were homosexual in many ways. This this was a generation of pederasty. This was a generation of no care for Anyone, when they didn't want their children, the Romans would send them down a river, they would kill them. Like this was a time of brutality. As a matter of fact, let me just say this as well. When people talk about the church is not this, the church is on this, what they generally do is they skip to the middle and dark ages. They have no idea what the church did before this time. The church invented hospitals. The church invented orphanages. The church invented equality in marriage. None of that existed during that time in the Middle East, in the Mediterranean, or in Europe. The women were not equal in marriages. Slaves did not have rights. You could do what you wanted to uh, people you had power and authority over. You didn't care for the weak and for those around you that didn't have the ability to support you. And you certainly did not care for orphans. Christianity changed the entire known world not to mention gave us the scientific revolution. So be very careful when you're dissecting history and you skip from whatever the Bible is to Christopher Columbus or something that you don't like about it or the American South. And remember, it was other Christians that killed those supposed Christians to bring about freedom, okay? It was two groups of Christians fighting each other. And oftentimes, that's what was happening in Europe. And they had different views. And generally, one was more right than the other. But I want everyone to see this. This is where we came from. And the Bible says they did this in the Old Testament to the prophets. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are being thrown into fire, that is not just a Sunday school story. Try that at the campfire next time for an illustration and see if anybody volunteers. Who wants to stand in there for five minutes? Please don't do that, but you get my point. This is real. These are young men that are not bowing. The whole entire culture is telling them, we bow to this. And three young men say, we only bow to God. And then out of anger and spite, the king says, not only am I going to throw you in that fire, I'm going to heat it up more than it's ever been heated up. Boys, keep heating it up. And the guys are like, we're dying trying to heat this thing up. We, We can't even take the heat. And then they throw our men in there. That's the story of your people. That's the story of where we come. Just one more quickly here. Understand this. When Russia and Germany and those things began to happen in Europe during World War II, Christians like William Wunbrandt in Romania were thrown into prison cells by their friends people who just days earlier attended their church. When the Bible says, mother will betray daughter, daughter will betray mother, the the enemies of your house, uh, your worst enemies will be members of your own house. That's happened in the time of Russia and Germany, Romania. William Wollebrandt, you can watch it, Tortured for Christ. They made a documentary film about it. He's the one that started an organization like this. He said it got to the point they brainwashed him so much because they had the, the, the speakers play. They would keep them up all night. They would, would make them walk naked in their jail cell. They just tortured them psychologically. He said it got to the point where I didn't think anyone else in the whole world cared about me, knew about me, and that anyone was even a Christian anymore. Because they told him over and over and over again, Romania has changed. You're no longer needed to be a pastor. You need to join the revolution. We've seen your wife and your children convert to communism. And they brainwashed him over and over and over again where he said all that he had left as he walked naked in a cell, and they would throw cold water on him to have him keep walking because they didn't want him to stop. He said all he could say over and over again is, Jesus loves me, this I know. That's all he could say is Jesus loves me. And it got to the point where in one of the times he's being tortured, it talks about this in the documentary, you can watch it. It just brought tears to my eyes. The man is punching him and he's so angry. The guy who's punching him is so angry. This is what he said to him. He said, I thank God if he even exists that I live at a time that I can do this to you. That's how wicked these people were. They were saying, I thank God, even if he exists, that I get to live in a time where I get to do this. Because think about how wicked people are right now. They're video games, how they act in traffic. Imagine if you said to the police that, you know, could, could kneel on George Floyd for however many minutes and he couldn't breathe. Imagine if you said to those people, you can torture this guy as much as you want. That's what this guy said literally as he's torturing him. But he said at some point, the guy got angry. Like, I guess torturing wasn't fun anymore. And he said to him, why don't you just stop? Like, how much more do you want? And w- Richard Wombrand, face all beaten and bloody, looked at his torturer and said, because I'm here for you now. He said, my life is now to see you saved. Could you imagine that? They, they had convinced him his whole family had abandoned Christ. They had convinced him he was all alone. There was no church worth fighting for anymore. And the torturer goes, why are you even fighting this anymore? And he goes, for you for you, I'm here now for you. Tears streaming down my face. The few that got together at different times in those prison camps, because this is what I think modern torture will look like if it ever happens here, but it's, like I said, happening around the world. They would get together and they would do their Bible studies, and it was illegal, obviously, in the prison to do it. So this is what they knew. If they got caught doing the Bible study, they would get extra beatings. And this is what he said. They beat And we preached so they would take them out the cell give them extra beatings and then when they would come back to the cell with their face all bloodied they would say to their brothers where did I leave off and they would go back to preaching you see Christianity needs to understand uh, we as Christians need to understand this part of Christianity that's why the Hall of Faith as amazing as it ends as it is it ends right here because now brother or sister I am not your tello evangelist Now I am not here to promise you your yellow brick road. Now I can say to you, hey man, if this is what our ancestors had to go through, yeah, you ain't going to get every promotion. They're not always going to like you. People will steal from you. You will be hated and betrayed by your family. And if you think you're alone, remember your brothers and sisters who went before you. That doesn't say, and I know sometimes we as pastors can say, hey, get over yourself. It's not that bad. You're not in China, whatever. Get over. No, I'm not trying to say our problems aren't real problems. Trust me. I've been putting out a credit card before and it get declined. It hurts. I'm not getting tortured like that, but it still hurts. I've had people betray me, and it hurts. How many can relate to the pains of your life? You may not be crucified, set on fire today, naked in an arena, about ready to die. But how many of you have gone through sufferings in life? But what is the encouragement? He will never leave you, and he will never forsake you. But if at any time you divorce yourself from this, then you forget why we were ever put here. We were put here to be examples to this world, in life or in death. We are an example to them. When Christians prosper, the Bible says the nation will prosper. That's why God has blessed America in many ways. It's because it took Christian principles to set slaves free. It took Christian principles to give equal rights to women, right? It it, it used those principles to bring about the civil rights movement, right? Like it uses those principles and then God blesses. But then what happens when we move away from those principles? The Bible says sin is a disgrace to any people. So now we as Christians, we're in a place where we feel uncomfortable because we're used to, in America, being on the side of Billy Graham. If we have stadiums, it's for Billy Graham, you know, concerts and, and, you know, uh, crusades. And, And when I introduce myself as a pastor, people say, oh, it's nice to meet you, you're very respectable. You know, like we come from that culture. And so it feels now strange to us that we don't have that upper hand anymore. That when I now introduce myself to a lot of young people as a pastor, they look at me at, with disgust, as a hate monger, as a bigot. That now when you say you're a Christian, instead of them saying, well, that's great, that's good, that works for you. They now want to persecute you and go to your HR department and say, let's see if they wear the rainbow when the, when it's required for everybody to wear the rainbow. See, now you're a Christian, you're going to be marked just as I met a brother the other day when I was preaching the gospel, he was from Egypt, and he said, "Here's." And I said, "Are you Christian or Muslim?" And he said, "Here's how you know the Christians: we tattoo ourselves." Put up the, uh, the the slide, please, of the Coptic men about ready to be beheaded in Syria. Just one last image. I won't show the gross image. I'll just show you them kneeling there. Those are Coptic brothers and sisters. They're marked as Christians, and they do it even to their own selves because they're proud of Jesus. So do we get fired? Absolutely. Will people be against us? Absolutely. But what do we do? We live by faith. We have hope for our future. We do all that we can while we can. Right now, are we arrested? No, we're free. So let's keep having church. And my heart is, is that we can change our nation. My heart is, is that America doesn't line us up like this. But we do know at some point, according to the book of Revelation, this does happen, doesn't it? And they behead us thinking they do God a favor, the Bible says. And there's an antichrist who will do signs and wonders to deceive if it were even the elect. And so we have to be ready for this. Though I believe in the rapture. Get me out of here, Jesus. But if I have to go through it, I'm going through it with Jesus. But here's what we can do until this time. We're not arrested, so let's keep preaching. It's not illegal to be a Christian, so start Bible studies on your job, just like Brother Darrell has. Young men, you can start a Christian club at your high school. We'll sponsor it with pizzas and workers. And TJ used to have them at his school, and some of the men that were sitting in the front row right here came from those school clubs. We'll join you at your school campus unashamedly preaching the gospel. Every businessman and woman here that gets a lunch break, start finding other Christians on your lunch break. And start having Bible studies. And then when you and I face our sufferings, when we lose our jobs, when we get uh, persecuted, yes, there you go. When people don't love us and they don't treat us nice and they say all they do about us, let us rejoice. Because we have suffered in the name of Christ. Amen? The Bible says here in closing, altar workers and band, would you come? Look at it in Matthew chapter 5, at the end of the Beatitudes. And then put up the Instagram video of that woman spitting in Brother Juan's face as he's preaching in front of the abortion clinic. It's on Instagram and Facebook, please. This is what we do. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you. Because of me, rejoice and be glad. And notice this, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I'm not saying go be a jerk, and I'm not saying that we should be like all up in people's faces. This is how I am. The Bible says don't throw your pearls before swine. If a man or woman, I'm in conversation, and they start cussing at me and they get upset, I'm like, okay, I'm done. I used to stay and argue with a fool, but you don't have to, can I hear an amen to that? So I'm not saying go out there and be a jerk and blame it on persecution. But I'm talking about real persecution that I'm about ready to show you happened at the abortion clinic the other day. From Juan simply setting up his table and for him being out there, a woman spits in his face. And I know all of us, it's so funny because I'm reading the comments. And I know all of us would feel different. And I know some of the comments were like, <laughs> one even said, the African in me won't allow that to happen. I guess she was from Africa. She's like, the African, I'll say the Italian in me doesn't want that to happen. Amen. The man in me doesn't want that to happen. But you know what I said to Juan? I said to Juan, I said, you did the right thing. Because if you would have got her in a rear naked chokehold, all they would be saying is, look at this Christian choking out some woman on the streets. You know? But does he have the right to defend himself? Absolutely. Spitting on somebody is an assault in the state of Illinois. If we would have spit, just think about this for a moment, brothers and sisters. If we would have spit on her, there would be riots in front of our church right now, and I don't even know if you would be here. Next time they riot, make sure you're here. I had a congregation the no other time they riot and they didn't show up. Next time I want a church to show up when they riot. Amen. Pathum will file you online. <laughs> we still love you. Watch this right here. This woman spitting in Juan's face. But thank God she was arrested. Amen. But we pray for her salvation. Can you see the one where she flipped over the tables? Is that one on there as well? Yeah, it's going to be before this video. Do we know what the screen looks like, the screensaver thing? It's going to be up, brother. Uh, It's not going to be that far down. Keep going. Maybe look at the truth can be offensive. Is it that one? Okay, this is a woman coming at him with a bike lock. That's the same one. Okay, let it play. Pro-abort witch. Aren't you a cute thing right there? Aren't you nice? Look at that. Okay, so then the next one. Okay, that's the same one right here. Let's go to the one where they... No, go the other way. Go, go. Um, yeah. There, here we go. Look at this. We set up tables out there. Now you answer. That's the same one who came back the next week and spit in his face. Now notice this, brothers and sisters. Notice this. Of course, she looks insane and demon-possessed. We love you, though, in Jesus' name. But notice this. She walks away safely. No one harmed her. No one touches her and yet we're called names. Christians wake up to the reality of what it's like to serve the Lord in our day and age. If they did this to our Jesus, if they did this to our apostles, if they did this to our virgins, if they did this to our prophets, if they did this to our children, what do you think they're gonna do to you? Now, do I want to create an anger towards her and towards that community? Absolutely not. We love witches. We want them to repent and come to Jesus. I want her to come to Jesus. I want her testimony to be she was flipping over tables like Jesus but doing it the wrong way. You know, She needs to flip over the devil's tables, not our tables. Oh, be like Jesus, flip over tables. Let's point you in the witch's direction. How about you flip over the tarot card table? Half kidding there, right? In closing, let's pray. Father, I thank you today that you gave us heroes to look up to, people of faith. I pray as we conclude this chapter that we will now find someone there that we can relate to. Whether it's the woman prophetess, Deborah, or the man who trusted her, or the Gideons who feel like they're nobodies but you call them a mighty warrior, or God, those who honor the fathers and the inheritance they've been given like Japheth, or Samuels who are people of integrity, oh God. Whatever we do when we look at the Bible, I pray we see those we can look up to like David, to have a heart after you, God, and to run after Goliath, even though all we have is a slingshot, oh God. I pray that we'll find heroes of the faith to find encouragement from, whether it was our brothers and sisters in the Roman Empire or those today in China or in Afghanistan in places like that. Lord, may we know we're not alone. We're not alone. Say that with me in prayer right now. I'm not alone. Jesus is with me, and brothers and sisters are suffering like me. Come on, say it again. I am not alone. Jesus is with me. Brothers and sisters are suffering like me in the name of Jesus. Father, I pray in those times of despair, whether it feels like a splinter or it feels like our bones are breaking, we never quit. We never back down. We never give in. Make us people of testimony, of integrity to pass it on from one generation to the other. If that's you in this place and you want to be a person of faith, would you stand up now and give it up for Jesus today in this house? Come on, if that's you, stand up to your feet. Come on, bless the Lord. Lord, I pray you bless us today. If anyone doesn't know you, may they come to know you. If people have not been living for you, may they start living for you and fill us up today with your power in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.